Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. Michelle, welcome to The Friday Habit. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, Ben and I, um, we need a lot of therapy. So we figure, you know, (laughs) however we can get that squeezed into the podcast recording, the better it is for us. (laughs) Yeah, this is actually a trick. This is a, this is supposed to be free one-on-one or one-on-two coaching. We didn't, sorry, we didn't tell you that ahead of time, but, uh, you know, and we're trying to get the two for one deal. Yeah, exactly. No problem. <laughs> I would love to introduce kind of Michelle and kind of let people know who you are. I have a little bio here I was going to read. So uh, Michelle is an executive coach and a clinical psychologist who brings 25 years of experience in both corporate and family settings to the challenging problem of interactional conflict. Her specialty as a coach is in guiding teams that have complicated dynamics and helping them reach greater collaboration, improve communication, and resolve tension. And man, that sounds great. That's that's what we need, right, Mark? That's that is exactly what we need. And and just to even go a little bit further with you, um, would you rather have a golden voice or a silver tongue? <laughs> what? <laughs> and the connection to conflict there is. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes if your tongue is too silver, you can get yourself in trouble. Oh, <laughs> got it. That's right. Or you can sing yourself out of some situations, which I've done in my past. Mm. I think Mark, you've got the you've got the the golden voice. Is that what it was? Golden voice or yeah. silver tongue? Yeah. You probably you probably have both. Uh, uh, what a silver tongue is what like you're able to banter or you're able to slice somebody up with your. Your words, hmm. I think. I don't know. A tendency to be eloquent and persuasive in speaking. Oh, okay. see, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. what I. That's what I meant. What about you, Michelle? What would you rather have? An amazing singing voice or be persuasive when you talk to people? <laughs> <laughs> it's like really a tie, but uh, I I would like to be. Uh, I think I'd go for the persuasion over mm-hmm. the singing voice. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Very well, practical of you. There's more yeah. uses yeah. for my work. We we know a little <laughs> bit about you now. Hey, well, I have a question. If I would love to just kind of hear a little bit about your origin story, about you know how you got into the work that you are doing, and you know just a little bit of you know what what was your passion behind you know writing books and being a coach and all those other kind of things. Well, it's funny when when you think about your origin story, you're doing a little 2020 retrospective. But um, if I think about my path to this spot, I guess I started my first job uh, post-college was in investment banking. And what I remember most about that work was how so many times during a meeting, I would say to myself, why do they do it that way? How Mm -hmm. on earth is that going to bring the best out of people? you know, like scary meetings where people are called on who are unprepared, Um, you know, one-upsmanship where, you know, who's the smartest in the room kind of thing. Mm. I remember thinking like, why are they doing it like this? And I found it, I just found it irritating. And I knew I was a fish out of water. It wasn't my, it wasn't my environment. 
And then I ended up going back to school to become a clinical psychologist, which was definitely much more of my environment. I remember the first, you know, the first semester, I was like, this is what feels right. Oh, that's a good feeling. Um, Yeah. But then uh, I guess after working as a clinical psychologist for a long time, I then started to feel like I wanted to get out more in the world. I didn't want to just be in small rooms with just a person with a problem or even a couple with a problem. And so I uh, started to look into coaching. What What is this world of coaching that was starting to explode? And I, I got some opportunities to begin as working as an executive coach. And then 2009 happened, the recession then, and a lot of coaching work disappeared overnight. Mm. And at that point, I... I was like, well, I think I have to go back to being a therapist for now, at least. And if I do, <laughs> then I only want to do my very favorite kind of work, which is working with couples. Uh-huh. So um, so then I started doing that. Coaching came back. And I noticed that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much about like trying to figure out why things work. Uh-huh. And so during when, for the first time when I was working with couples, I could see session after session there are such, such tremendous patterns in conflict. We all have the same fights. We can talk about that. We all have the same exact fights. And so that led me to write this book about couples and conflict. And then when I was back to coaching, it was almost like I was seeing everything again. Now, you know, there's, there's so much that, that when you talk about a person in the workplace who's a, who has problematic behaviors, and when I hear about it, I'm thinking, ah, this is a cycle, just like it is in couples mm. work. Right. Then I started to get opportunity to do what, what people sometimes call couples work in the workplace or pairs coaching, where you're working together with two people who a company wants to retain, but they don't get along. Started to do more of that and realized that this is becoming my specialty is dealing with conflict, mm. um, dealing with interactional challenges and um you know, so it is funny that here I am after, <laughs> and it is funny when I, when I work in like an investment bank again, it's actually kind of funny to be like, yeah, now you're listening to me about yeah. this. When I, like, many years ago, I wanted to say. It's what? funny how things have become so relational in the business workplace, especially after COVID, right? Where it was like, oh, wow, we really need to figure out how to communicate. And then, you know, the great resignation, as people were calling it, was like, wow, we have to really level up how things are done at, a, at our businesses in order to attract the right talent and retain the right people and stuff. So, yeah, it is interesting to see how, you know, things have, you know, kind of evolved since you've, you know, been in, in, the, in the business and industry. What, um, what are you know, some things like as far as, you know, marriages and business, you know, because both Ben and I are involved in both those transactions, you know, what are, what, what are the most, (laughs) what are the most common things that you see, you know, that, that are, do relate, you know, you kind of mentioned that. Okay. So so there's so many things that really (laughs) relate in terms of, of sometimes topic areas, like there's fights about money at home and there's fights about money at work, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of similarities in terms of the dynamics that unfold. So like take an example of a misunderstanding. Mm. So a misunderstanding happens at home or a misunderstanding happens at work and negative malicious intent is ascribed to it. Mm. Right. So, 
uh, you didn't pick me up from the train station and I ended up standing in the rain. Right. You don't love me. Uh, that was really horrible what you did, right? So it's like malicious intent is attributed or you didn't return that email or you left me out of the meeting or you um, took over a project or you helped me too much with a project and what does that mean? And then malicious intent. And that's the beginning. Misunderstanding is often the beginning of these very difficult interactions. So that's one thing that's in common. The other thing that's in common is that we get defensive <laughs> in both places. And that's... A big source of what causes us to get stuck is that I seek to protect myself at home in an argument with my spouse, or I seek to protect myself in an argument at work with a coworker or my boss or my report. And then they respond in kind with more defensive behavior. So it's the same, we're people, whatever environment we're in, we have, we act according to the same the same biology in a way mm, it's like yeah. all about our fight or flight response and we are it's we're always activated and that's what gets us in trouble and kills communication right yeah that makes so much sense you know and too i, I do see the parallels and then you have the instances where sometimes you like work with your spouse you know like my wife she does interior decoration and uh you know she does set design for us and stuff like that and so then sometimes there's a clash of like are you the boss or are you my husband, you know, or are you my wife or are you my employee? And then it's just like very com complicated and, and interesting. <laughs> and then how do you, how do you leave this stuff at work at work and not bring it home? You know, very hard. That's extra <laughs> <Yeah>. complicated. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that requires an expert expert to help you sort that one out, Mark. <laughs> I mean, right. probably so actually. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Michelle, I wonder, I don't know what you think the best way to kind of approach this is. And um, by the way, I didn't, I don't think I said this yet, but I know you and I have worked together and on, on building your website. Um, yeah. and so that was how we met originally was, um, knapsack you built your website. Job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And we, we loved working with you. And then even back then building your website, we built it, um, originally when you had one book, which was called stop the fight, which is still out there, obviously. And an amazing book. I personally have read it and found it very, very useful. Um, one thing I love about your approach is that it's illustrated. And so it's very accessible and very fun to read. And it's in very short bite-sized chapters that are very practical. Like there's really practical tools. It's very visual, very unintimid unintimidating. It's not abstract. And so for me personally, reading through that, there's some concepts that I've heard over and over, you know, um, that when I saw your book and your illustrations that finally kind of clicked in my brain, like this is what's happening. Cause I'm a very visual person. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to thank you for that. Cause it, it has made a big difference in my life. Uh, just reading stop the fight. I'm so glad um, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just, so that was very helpful to me. And then even from there, uh, I know we had worked together, built your site. And then, uh, later on, I found out, I think you actually got in touch with us to add a new page to your website. And, you know, you, um, had written this new book called own your armor. So as soon as we worked together at the end of that session, I was like, I'm ordering this book. This is exactly what I need to hear. Cause basically, you know, your first one was about this, uh, stop, stop conflict at home and how to resolve conflict. And then, uh, own your armor is more about conflict at work. And as my team's growing, I'm trying to be as much aware and preventative of that as possible, you know, growing from a team of five to a team of 10 and, you know, about a year and a half or so. It's a big change, a lot more complexity, a lot more, you know, dynamics. There's always change that comes with, you know, a bigger team. And so, 
Um, we're actually planning on going through that book as part of our book club at work, Own Your Armor, and we're going to kind of implement and read through some of that stuff. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. I guess what I want to ask you is, what do you think the best way is into this conversation? Do you think it'd be better to start with our at-home stuff and then move into the work workplace, or would you rather start the other way? It either either is good. I'll say just one thing. I'm just so appreciative to hear you talk about um, the way you described it so well. Uh, it fits with what I was hoping for in creating an illustrated book is to just make it simple. I feel like conflict is so darn complicated and we get all swirly when we're in it and you can't remember anything that you that you're trying to remember. Like I want to be better at this. We all want to be better at conflict, both at home and at work. I want to be better at it, but I can't remember what I'm supposed to remember in the moment. And so just like, okay, just remember this picture maybe it will be a little bit easier. Exactly. And a good example of that um, from the, I guess we can start with personal stuff since I'm already going down this, this, uh, this path. But one of the, one of the things, I think it might be one of the very first chapters in Stop the Fight. Um, but I forget the name of the fight. You, you've named the different fights, which is, which is cool, the type of fight. Um, but it was basically one where it's like, there's, I think there's a picture of a woman holding a box and it's like a heavy box. It's like a problem that, that she's holding. The man is standing on the other side, on the left, you know, she's on the right man is standing there on the left. And he's like looking at the box and saying like, he's basically, he's looking at the box and being like, just put down the box. Like, why are you holding that box? Or here, let me carry the box for you if it's heavy. And really, and what's happening is instead of looking at her, she, you know, she wants to be seen and he's looking at the box, talking all about the box, all about the problem. Hey, I've got 10 ideas how to solve your problem. Why don't you listen to me? And, uh, really what she wants is for him to look at her and see her pain and her struggle. And it's like, it was such a good visual because I know that in my head, you know, uh, you know, but it finally clicked of like, okay, I think I finally get this, you know? Uh, it's about seeing and, and relating and caring about how the other person feels, not necessarily focusing on the problem alone. So that's just an example, but that was very helpful to me. I'm, I'm so glad. It, that picture for me, I drew one time with a couple for the first time. It, it just popped into my head as I was sitting with them. It's like you have a choice. Your partner is coming home from work and telling you that problem that ha- they had at work, let's say. And you're sitting there listening and you've got to decide, am I going to focus on the problem or am I going to focus on the partner? And the choice is a choice of either closeness or distance. Am I engaging with you as a co-problem solver on my problem or am I allowing you to be my container, the person who's going to listen, always take my side, always be there for me, even if you think I'm wrong in in the way I'm handling the situation at work you're still going to be there for me. And that feels like closeness. And so I, I you know, I say to couples, it's like, you have a choice. I say the same thing, frankly, to managers when, a, when one of their reports comes into the office with a box of a problem. You have a choice at that point to either teach them how to solve the problem, coach them in how to solve the problem, or help them see for themselves what their own interaction with the problem is. And each of those has different impacts on how much they grow. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's quite similar. 
Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What are some of the other common types of fights that you think like come up pretty often, you know, at home or especially maybe maybe there's some specific ones with entrepreneurs that maybe come to the surface more than, you know, people that own their own business, um, you know, fighting, having fight at home, maybe with their spouse or their partner. Um, yeah, what are some other ones that come up and what, what kind of, um, yeah, typical ones and then maybe potential, you know, uh, typical uh, ways of thinking about it that can be helpful? It's interesting that you raise entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs and, and you know, uh, people who work in partnership, in small partnerships, they very much have dynamics that are similar to mm-hmm. couples. And I, I sometimes work with founders of a company or partners of a small company, and we talk about it um, in the same way that I would talk about to a couple about like premarital issues. You know, here are some things you should think about with your with your partner. Um, how are we going to handle certain things? But emotionally, how are we going to handle certain things becomes very important. What do we each do when we are uh, triggered or upset or feeling threatened? How, do we, how are we going to handle our fights? Let's assume we're going to have fights and let, let's figure out how are we going to handle conflict when it comes up. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people think, um, well, we'll deal with it if we have to, but we're never going to have that problem. And, you know, if you think about it, how on earth would we ever assume we're not going to fight? <laughs> well, we you hear those people, they're like, oh, we've never fought in 40 years. Fine. We never had an argument. And I've it's never like, lied either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think in terms of, of fights that people typically have, again, let's talk about entrepreneurs or about a couple at home. You know, you could have a very two different values, for example, that you're trying to solve for. Um I want to raise our kids in a very disciplined way that will teach them how to be productive and live life and have good executive functioning skills. And the other parent says, I want our kids to feel a sense of freedom and not so caged in. And, you know, and so we should, you know, have some leniency in our lives. And then this becomes a massive fight when it comes down to like, do they have to go to school today or not? Because they're feeling a little sick. It becomes a huge fight. And, and, and sometimes I, I will say to the couple, okay, let's just get this down to what is the value underneath this fight for each of you? What are we talking about here? What's the reason it, it feels really important to you that they must go to school today even though they're feeling sick? And they'll say, this is, this is about discipline. This is about like really meeting your commitments. This is about responsibility. Okay, we've got the value there. How about the other side? What's it about that you want to you want to say it's okay if you don't go to school today? Well, I feel like it's about caring and love and empathy, and that's really important. And the fight can get very polarized into they must go to school, they must not go to school, and how could you possibly make them go to school, and how could you possibly let them stay home? When I can present it back to the couple as it looks like the two values you're trying to solve for here are responsibility and empathy. You want to be able to interact with your kids with both response, like to teach them responsibility and also show them that sometimes there are exceptions to responsibility and sometimes you have to have leniency in your life and you shouldn't be so strict about how you live your life that you never have leniency. And so if you think about it that way, how are you going to convey to your kids that both of those values are important? Both. Like both of you have to think about both values. The same exact thing happens at work. You know, one, one partner saying, we got to take risks so we can go for growth. The other partner is saying, 
we got to be very conservative so that our company is secure and people's jobs are preserved. Both reasonable, completely reasonable. How do you balance both? Instead, it could get very polarized. One person's all about growth. The other person's all about security. But like, actually, you kind of need both. So how can both both heads think about both values? So, I mean, to me, it sounds like there needs to be a, a... there needs to be a large amount of emotional maturity involved with each person, right? Like the fact that you have to understand these things. And because I, I'm, you know, I'm Italian. I grew up in a very loud home. I love a good debate, you know, and uh, my wife does not. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I guess there's an element of like, how do you, how do you know how to react? Like when in the heat of a moment, like how like what tools can, you know, our listeners and ourselves use, you know, to like recognize like, okay, I'm going to start a fight or I'm going to get in a, a upset. Cause it's like, you see red and then you don't think like, I'm going to take a deep breath now. And I'm going to think why I, this situation makes sense to me. And then I'm going to try to relate it back to you. Like that just never happens. No, I, I actually will often say to couples who ask me that question, like, what do I do in the heat of the moment? And I say, I think you're far better off figuring out what to do in the cool of the moment. And then when you get really good at that, then you can go, then you can learn some skills about what to do in the heat of the moment, but like be good at repair conversations. Like that should be our focus, not how can I stop it midstream? It's so painful midstream. I don't want it. Okay. Yes. I want that's a plus. Let's just start for B minus first, which is (laughs) after the thing is over, how do you approach each other? How do you signal, I want to repair now in Mm. a way that doesn't ignite the whole thing all over again? Yes. And that's something we have so much trouble with already. So let's get good at that first um, before we try to like stop it in the middle. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That's a really good, good thought. Yeah. And I guess that too, that makes me think of, you know, just the intentionality, you know, I've been married now for 18 years. And so, you know, I think there's an element of like, you know, that making that choice of like, Hey, like we committed to each other and we want to make this work no matter what. And so, yeah, in those downtimes, like how can we work on this uh, so that we don't have that blow up in front of the kids or that we don't say things that we can't take back and, you know, and really try to work on those things, you know? So I love that you use the word intentionality because one of the things I'll say to, to couples and people at work is if you want to start a repair conversation reveal your intentions. Think ahead of time about what the outcome is that you want for this conversation. You know how many times we barrel into a conversation without even knowing what outcome we want? We say, oh yeah, we should sit down and talk about this. But like, what are we talking about? And to what end, right? So I want to sit down and talk about this because my intention is to go back to how our loving relationship, or my intention is to repair this relationship at work even though I want to set aside the work part of it and just talk about us because you're important to me as a person. Revealing your intention as the headline is like the best way you can guarantee that you're going to start this conversation in a much less defensive way, a much less fiery way saying, you know, my intention is to end the fight or my intention is to apologize for my part of it, my contribution. My intention is to hear you out for the purpose of getting back to our best selves. That like, that's the lead. That's a, that's the lead of a great, a great repair conversation. 
that's so disarming and also just so, um, yeah, that's so helpful because people don't know, you know, they might feel scared to talk about it. They might feel like you're about to attack them again or point out once again why they were wrong. And so there's probably a lot more defensiveness that comes in if you don't say what your intentions are. And that seems so obvious when you say it. It's like, why would you not do that? Obviously, but like, have I ever done that? Probably not. I've probably never done that before. That's, that's crazy. You also can't do it if you're fired up. Like, think about it. First of all, I'll just say the whole thing about don't go to bed angry that piece of advice, I don't agree with that. Oh, okay. Here we go. You need to go to bed angry because your brain is on fire. (laughs) And if you stay up trying to solve it while your brain is on fire, you will never go to sleep. Yes. I have had fights till two in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, I've like, I've wondered about that too, because there's sometimes when it's like, if we're tired, I'm like, okay, maybe this is not the best time to have this conversation. We are not our best selves. We're like in the danger zone right now because we're already exhausted and frustrated. And if we try to like, I, I kind of, uh, I used to agree with that a hundred percent. And now I'm kind of like, huh, there's actually exceptions to that where it doesn't really make any sense. But well, yeah. I think it, in a way it's like, it's about biology. It's as simple as like our cells. I mean, uh, I will not be thinking as well when I'm fired up and in my, you know, amygdala hijack, <laughs> you know, I'm just yeah. not I'm going to be, I, 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 we're going to be far better. And I think if you say to your partner, I want to do this well, and I can't do it now. I mean, sometimes people feel like you say, I'm going to sleep as a way to just escape. But, it, but if instead you're saying, I want to do this well, I want to make sure we get to the right place. I'm afraid I can't get there now because mm-hmm. I'm crashing can we do this tomorrow? It's so much more productive. Right. Yeah. That makes so much sense. All right. We're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to the Fridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, Go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Until next time, live every day like it's Friday.